Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And on this week's episode, it's part three of our reviews and reactions to The Secrets of Dumbledore. But this week, we're going to be reading your reviews and reactions to the third movie in the Fantastic Beasts series. But before we get to all of that, I wanted to discuss a couple of the polls that are excellent social media manager Chloe has posted on the MuggleCast Twitter account in the past couple weeks. This first one, the poll says, which one of the hosts would the chillin' bow to? Micah, you came out on top. 40% yeah. of uh, participants voted for you. How do you feel about that? I mean, I'm honored, honestly, that uh, our listeners would think that the chillin' would bow to me. I honestly I had a hard <laughs> time with this. I thought it would Maybe end up being Laura. No. Well, she did come in a close second, 34%. Laura, congrats. Oh, thank you. A combined 74% of our listeners (laughs) think. Who was that? The purest of. It's, yeah. It's hard to complain about these results because although I don't love my results, I'm I'm not last place. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Eric got 21% of the vote. So you three are kind of equally split. But then here I am, 4.9% of the vote. And by the way, I'm one of the people who voted for myself. So it's really like 4.5%. You voted for yourself? I voted for Micah. Oh, that explains why I'm at the bottom. (laughs) I voted voted for myself. (laughs) I, I assumed I wasn't number one. So I was like, I'm going to push that up there. <laughs> get it, get well, it. when I made my comment on Twitter, and I won't repeat it because I don't think it's appropriate mm-hmm. for um, this show. Oh, well, whatever. I was like, bleep won't even be close or something to that effect. Um, it was actually a lot wider of a margin. Oh, at the time. So the gap closed. Yeah. I don't know if it closed because of my narcissism and my comment. So which should show you that the chillin probably shouldn't bow to me. No, if but confidence is sexy, it. and I think the chillin knows that and takes that into account. <laughs> okay. But what did I do to deserve only 5%? I'm really hurt by this poll. Andrew, I genuinely don't know, buddy. I would bow to you if I were a chillin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. What the heck? Well, you know what, y'all? I'm loyal as hell to this show. You get the show every Wednesday morning, on time, thanks to me, okay? So I'll remember this the next time I'm getting out of bed early to edit the show. It's a thankless job, Andrew. <laughs> Listeners, listen, the next time Chloe does a poll, you have to choose Andrew as the option no matter what. The show Please, is in peril. So we will hurt. never get another episode of MogoCast unless you choose Andrew. It doesn't matter what it is. Just choose Andrew. You know what? It's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. So this next poll... Which ship in Secrets of Dumbledore was your favorite? Actually, the results were very split here. Queenie and Jacob got 26.8% of the vote. Albus Albus and Gellert got 22.3%. Theseus and Laylee got 321 putting them on top. And then Tina and Newt got 18.8%. That's really funny considering their ship was only on screen for a couple minutes. I think maybe at this point, it's the least problematic pairing that yep. people can imagine. That's true. And it also seemed the least forced. Again, going back to what we talked about in the last couple of episodes, yeah, Queenie and Jacob got sort of a resolution, but they didn't work through any of the crap that happened in the second movie, like her drugging him, her joining wizard Hitler, None of that was reconciled. So it made their reunion feel a little less earned 
than it would have if we had really seen those characters grapple with that. And I think with Laylee and Theseus, we don't have that. And we don't have the frustration of having watched them not develop for three movies either. So I agree. They were my favorite. Yeah. Like a new, fresh relationship to enjoy, assuming they are in a relationship. Newt and Tina didn't make the cut. Make what cut? The uh, ship. Uh, Tina and Newt actually scored the least in the poll. Okay. I like those two characters. I even like those two characters together, but I cannot deny that every second of the movie that they are together, which is about 60 seconds, the film is just like, these two like each other. There's going to be all this like extra like force behind it without actually paying it off. Um, It's just like, oh, they're cute and awkward, but they never evolve to Laura's point. So at this point, do I don't even have confidence that they would ever spend the screen time to get Tina Newt where I want it to be, where canonically it eventually is somehow. I would have voted for Teddy and uh, Pickett. <laughs> Are they in a relationship? I didn't Are they realize in a relationship? that. Well, friendship. Oh, oh yeah. We'll do that next. Who's your favorite friend pairing yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. among the beasts? Dynamic duo. <laughs> and this final poll I just wanted to bring up. How did you feel about Secrets of Dumbledore? 29.5% said loved it. 4.6%, only 4.6% said hated it. That's good to see. <laughs> 26.5% said meh. And then 40% said I liked it enough. So overall, people were good with it, it seems like. That's great. Yeah, only only 4.6% said they hated Secrets of Dumbledore. Slightly more percentage said that Andrew would have the chill and bow to him. <laughs> so that's that's how small a percentage of people hated this movie it's great yeah. i think this movie was whatever they were trying to do in terms of course correction it's edging that way for a lot and it's hitting the mark for a lot of people even if you didn't love it and i am seeing people who said this was their favorite oh really it was my favorite but yeah 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 there definitely are people out there so good right this is not the catastrophic train wreck that crimes of grindelwald was I'm glad yes. we were Great. able to do these polls, too, because who knows what happens when Elon takes over? <laughs> no polls. Polls yeah. are gone. We have to pay to post polls. <laughs> $50 a poll. So let's move on to our emails now. And we got lots of feedback. Thanks to everybody who has been listening and who's written in. Some people are checking us. Some people are agreeing, disagreeing. We'll get through it all today. And we'll start with this email from Tanji. Listener from Norway here. In the last episode, you were talking about Yusuf's role in the group and what exactly he had when he had mentioned that he has what he needed on the train to Berlin. My theory is that Yusuf needed to be on the train to interact with Jacob. Later on, when he arrives at Grindelwald's, Queenie reads his mind, but still tells Grindelwald that Yusuf is to be trusted. I believe she was already doubting her allegiance with Grindelwald, and when she saw that Yusuf was working with Jacob, she decided to lie. What Yusuf meant when he said he already got what he needed on the train is that he had gotten a memory showing him on the same side as Jacob and Newt. Love the podcast, Hanji. Yeah, I mean, I like this. I I think, though, if this was the case... Not saying that we need to be explicitly told every little thing, because I think audiences are smart enough to pick up on inferences, but it feels like this was never addressed. It was never addressed why Queenie sort of flipped the switch so quickly on Grindelwald. I mean, we see her at the end of movie two 
fully allied with him. And then at the beginning of movie three, she's already doubting herself. And we don't get to find out what happens between those two periods of time to flip her. So I guess this could be it. I just wish that there had been a little bit more showing of these things. God knows they showed enough memories in puddles and mirrors and stuff throughout this whole movie. Seems like they could have done that here, too, if that was the case. But I like the theory. Yeah, I do. I do, too. I I think that we got little hints throughout that Queenie was starting to or maybe had already progressed to the point of doubting her allegiance with Grindelwald. I mean, the conversation with Credence, where I think she mentions to him that she doesn't tell Grindelwald everything. Um, and then, of course, when he does slit the throat of the chillin', you can see how horrified she is. So it to your point, Laura, though, there wasn't enough of a buildup. I think you needed mm-hmm. probably at least half of the movie, if not an entire movie, to really see her loyalties tested like to me what he does at the end to jacob when he does the cruciatus curse in front of queenie that should have been the breaking point for her they shouldn't have reunited on the streets prior to that uh and i realize we're getting away from yusuf uh but i'm i'm really honestly disappointed that they didn't include that scene eric that you mentioned um last yeah, week because that at least from the test screening yeah that at least gives some justification to why he did what he did otherwise it's just kind of like yeah yeah otherwise it could be any character um you know you want to you want to be able to hear a character talk about themselves choosing to do something especially when asked um yeah i i have a hard time believing that jacob had anything to do with queenie giving yusuf the pass i think it has to do more with her own status and even if he was yusuf had potentially uh, dangerous motives at that point she herself is looking for a way out so the more people that she could get on grindelwald's quote unquote side um that would have the ability to kind of surprise or overtake him the better i i heard i i look at that scene and go although it's all communicated through their eyes uh, or queenie looking at him i think she sees a potential ally that will help her get away from grindelwald uh, and so that's why she lies through her teeth about what his true motives might be. So to get to my theory about Yusuf having what he needs, what if all he needed to fight Grindelwald was his deep wizard bloodline? That could be enough to convince Grindelwald that Yusuf genuinely wanted to agree with Grindelwald's views. I like that yeah. a lot. I mean, actually. it could be both, right? It could yeah. be Yusuf had more than one thing. If that were the case, though, I would have preferred that he actually stayed on the side of Grindelwald. Like, I, I mm. wouldn't have been totally disappointed if, in fact, he had moved over to fight with him. Though I think the reasoning behind it being that the memory would have been removed would have left me a little bit disappointed as well. Like, he should have moved because of what he believes deep down inside. But I guess, I, I don't know. This is where it gets messy because. His his half sister right was murdered by this man. So why would he then turn and partner up with him? I, I 
Yeah, well, makes just, no sense. Just to be clear, I'm saying Yusuf was still working as a double agent, but he was able to easily lie to Grindelwald about wanting to move over because he has that deep family bloodline. It's a convincing argument if I'm Grindelwald hearing this from Yusuf. That makes sense. About Yusuf and his bloodline, it's also interesting. I think the movie intentionally confuses the point that Yusuf is not a Lestrange. Um, he's being referred to as you know the last of this pure-blooded line of French wizards, but actually he his his father is not the uh, Lestrange that we met, uh, Corvus Lestrange, um, in the last movie. His his mother was Lorena Kama, as uh, who I believe is of Senegalese descent. He says so. He's he's really not like maybe through marriage he's a French pure blood. But the, the reason this all matters is he is not directly going to be related to Rodolphus or Rabastan Lestrange, who we know in the Harry Potter books later, because he's not a Lestrange. But I think by being less clear about who he is and just saying, oh, you're from an old family. People remember that Lita Lestrange is his sister and they're confusing him to be of the Lestrange line. And therefore, maybe maybe the movie banks on that to be like, oh, that's why he's evil now, because he's a Lestrange. But I, it's just really not clear. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this before, where the whole Lestrange family line, it's very mm-hmm. questionable how it continues from this point forward with all of the confusing writing that's been done. Well, here is our next email from chosen light. And the subject is hashtag justice for Uleli Hicks. <laughs> they say, Hey y'all, I am a fairly new listener and I love the podcast. While I don't always agree with the critiques, I enjoy listening to the reasonings and being able to nerd out on this franchise. I just finished listening to this week's episode. 560, the Bunty Awards, and I must say I was a little disappointed in the coverage of Eulalie Hicks. She was mentioned as a favorite new cast member, but the discussion on her was mostly about confusion on her accent choice. While that is an understandable critique, I was a bit let down that there wasn't much else discussed about her or why even she was a favorite. I think the only other time she was mentioned was a brief wonder if she will end up with Theseus. All of the other characters highlighted included actual reasons why they were loved by you all, and I was sad that Eulalie didn't receive the same amount of attention. So I am calling for a redo. <laughs> LOL. Is it possible to give her a bit more time next episode? She had some of the most visually appealing fight scenes and was super integral to the film. I'm thinking she was a part of the team because she was close to Nicholas Flamel, uh, due to her scene together with him in Crimes of Grindelwald. And Dumbledore also highly praises her for her defensive spells. Uh, in Secrets of Dumbledore, when he asked her to take Jacob with her to the dinner party. It would be cool to hear your thoughts on her wand. Also, I read that Jessica Williams was heavily involved in developing her character and that her mermaid handle wand is related to an African water spirit, Mama Wada. I love the podcast and each of you bring to the show. Thank you so much for writing this in. I will say... Our very uh, next character discussion is already slated yes. to be Eulalie. I just wanted to point this out. We can all say something. We'll go around the table, say something nice about Eulalie Hicks. <laughs> but yeah. but there's an, we love Lally and, yeah. and we love her so much that we've already, we've planned to do it properly in the form of a main discussion on her in, I think, two episodes time. So yeah. That's so just what I want to say. Stay tuned. Yeah. All right, moving on. No, yeah. no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love her accent, by the no, way. I don't know about you guys. 
No, I love it. Apart from, <laughs> Let's yeah. not go down that rabbit hole yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about it, but uh, she was great. I, I will say, and I notice this more when I'm editing, sometimes we fall a little off track and then we forget to get back on track. And that's what happens with Eulalie Hex. Okay. I think she's a great character. Uh, she was a refreshing new character, even though we saw her in Crimes of Grindelwald. I loved her opening scene, not just interacting with Jacob, but even before that, when she's directing this this band of fake criminals to help her grab Jacob's attention. The first time you watch that, initially, you have a very different interpretation of the scene. And then the second time you watch it, it you you understand what's really going on from the outset. Uh, yeah, she was just she was clever. She was smart. She was fast. Um, in terms of comedy, I, I put her up there close to Jacob and Jessica Williams has that comedy background too. So I was going to say also, she was, this character was one of the, the ones that I was most excited to see in this movie because I am a fan of Jessica Williams. Also, what's really cool, she's around our age, I think, 30s, somewhere-ish. Um, she grew up reading Harry Potter, too, and she's a huge Harry Potter fan. So for her, getting to be in this movie was a dream. And I think that comes through in her performance because she really put her all into developing this character. You can see it just from the way that she interacts with other characters, the way that her comfort level in this world is so evident. You can tell that she was immersed in these stories, just like we were from a very young age, because she just so fluidly moves through the world and feels like such a natural addition to the story, even though she's a totally brand new character. We have to remember one of the big gripes about Crimes of Grindelwald was they were introducing too many new characters we were all a little afraid that this movie was going to suffer from the same problem. But Eulalie Hicks was not that problem in this movie. She was a fully fleshed out and just beautifully done character. I'm so excited to have our discussion on her because there's a lot to say. I will say I'm almost pre heartbroken by how good of a character she was in the introduction because I don't think we're ever going to go to Ilvermorny or watch her teach or do any of the things that I would like to do based on her performance in this movie. You know, I, I think the series is not, I think the series is becoming more siloed and more claustrophobic. Like, you know, we spent 23 minutes at Hogwarts in this episode. I just, you know, I would have liked to have seen what an American adult wizard's life is like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that's one of the appeals of her character, this Ilvermorny background. And like you're saying, unfortunately, we might never know about her life at Ilvermorny or in America. But you have to think there's a lot there, and it's very intriguing. I, I think she was definitely a scene stealer for most of the scenes that she was in. And I think she was really authentic going to the point that Laura made about her being a Potter fan. I think you can definitely see that come through. And I was just. I enjoyed watching her and and I think the one thing though that I'm not sure about is I'm not sure people made the connection between her in the last film in the book and being on screen in this film uh so I think they yeah. could have maybe explained that a little bit more and this may get uh brought up when we talk about our predictions because I don't think Order of the Phoenix was mentioned at all uh I think that was probably also uh, another miss but all that said, I just I really enjoyed watching her. 
I enjoyed, you know, having an American wizard uh, kind of be front and center uh, in this film. And the dinner party, the magic that she's able to do uh, in that one scene uh, when they're escaping, I just thought was awesome. Yeah. Love love some Eulalie Hicks. And we'll discuss her more, like Eric said, in a couple of weeks in our dis- character discussion about her, including about that wand. You can actually buy that wand through the Noble Collection. Oh, really? We noticed that a week or two ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. So stay tuned. All right. This next email comes from Jeff. Jeff says, hey, MuggleCast, I couldn't help but think while watching Secrets of Dumbledore and seeing the chillin pick the leader of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) (laughs) Strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. That's a quote from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Another one is strange deer looking into your soul is no basis. For a system of government, me watching Secrets of Dumbledore. I so <laughs> this is this captures my complaint about this whole election system. Um, Jeff says, love the podcast, love the review. I agree, this film was better than crimes, but it leaves me wondering where they go from here. I can't imagine this series needing two more films. One seems like it would wrap everything up at this point. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way. And we're probably going to do a main discussion on that in the weeks ahead. Where do we go from here? Taking everything into consideration, the box office, the fan reaction, the critical reaction, rolling, everything. (laughs) We'll, We'll try to put it all together and figure out what's next. This next email comes from Russell T. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm just, I'm quoting Russell T because he says, sigh of relief. Oh. I was so happy with the film. Is it perfect? No, but it was funny, it had heart, and it was gay. I love Mads' <laughs> Grindelwald. Did I write this email? <laughs> I love Mads' Grindelwald. Honestly, no shade to depth, but Mads should have been the first casting. Favorite scene? I love Albus's duel with his nephew. Biggest disappointment? The breaking of the blood pact. I get they can't have some big horcrux like destruction story, but it seemed too easy to break. Also, Dumbledore's mirror world? I need an explanation. Maybe a few explanations in regard to the magic, but hey, I was very entertained. I want movies four and five. Also, I like slash don't like the chillin, aka the Puxatawney Phil of the Wizarding World. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, love the show. Can't wait for this discussion. Uh, first off, maybe we should explain to our listeners, since not all of them are from the US, who Puxatawney Phil is. Uh, he's a groundhog that pops up. Uh, usually sometime in February to tell us whether or not we're going to have six more weeks of winter or not. That's, that's yeah, right. that's that's yeah. how messed up things are here in this yeah, country. We we, very... base our, <laughs> we base our we base our seasons on pa- a rodent. He actually passed away recently too. <laughs> but no. how many of them have there been? Yeah, this has been a thing for a while. It's like the doctor; he regenerates. Yeah. Oh, I see. <laughs> it's like a phoenix. I mean, can you, yeah. <laughs> right. That, anyway, uh, that was a great email from uh, Russell. Puxatawney Phil has only been accurate 40% of the time over the last 10 years. So <laughs> that's better than I would do. But <laughs> I wonder how accurate the chillin' there's is. There's still always news coverage of him oh, coming yeah. out and seeing his shadow or not seeing his shadow. Very scientific tra- stuff we do in this country. It's a tradition <laughs> to pay attention to Puxatawney Phil. People look forward to it. People who live in in climates and areas where winter hits hard look forward to hearing if winter is ending sooner rather than later. So I I I get it. I guess. 
<laughs> but um, to push back on the, it was too easy to destroy the blood pact. The conditions were right. I, I think when we're watching it, we're like, oh, yeah, that was easy. But just think of how we got here. Dumbledore and Grindelwald had to face off with Credence present. A lot of things had to come together for that blood pact to be destroyed. So I don't think it's as easy as some people make it out to be. I'll say that's fair. I'll say this. I, I think that that's a fair statement, Andrew. But I think the problem with the blood pact, and we could make this argument about other aspects of this franchise, is that it was so built up during the second movie that this resolution felt a bit anticlimactic because based on the amount of buildup that went into what is a blood pact? How does it work? How does the magic work? Why can't it be destroyed? And then to have that resolved and sort of cleaned up by the end of the third movie felt, you know, a little too fast in my opinion It's also what leads me to believe that this could be the last movie in the franchise because they did close so many major threads that they had opened up previously. To me, it feels like they were trying to button up a lot of the more major plot points so that if they don't get another movie, this is at least a satisfying ending. So I think that's part of it. Right. I, I agree with you. I I think the miss was, and we talked about this a little bit, I think it was two episodes ago, but the whole idea is that this juxtaposed what happened to Ariana. I don't know how you could explain it so that it came through a little bit stronger for the viewer, but I think that's why, at least for me, it was satisfying because you had Aberforth and Albus coming together to defend Credence and you had Grindelwald moving against Credence, who is also a Dumbledore. And so because all of this failed to happen the first time around with Ariana, to me, that's why they decided to go this route. But again, it kind of lacked that explanation piece to it. Um, the question would be, if this was not how the Blood Pact was destroyed, how then could it possibly? like, Would you need both Grindelwald and Dumbledore to agree to destroy it. So I'm fine with it. Like, I actually think it's very creative writing. I just don't think it's very well explained. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the issue. And I think to the point about how else would the blood pact be destroyed? I think the problem there is that we don't know enough about how the blood pact works to be able to answer that question. There are still outstanding questions about how this magic works. I don't know if we're ever going to get answers. Yeah. The the problem about it being uh, sort of in the right place in the right time that it gets destroyed is that that's kind of an explanation uh, or an answer to use sparingly. Um, the way that Harry destroys Tom Riddle's diary in Chamber of Secrets, luckily with one of the five substances that happens to kill Horcruxes in Basilisk Venom. Um, okay, he stumbled into that. That's okay, right? I believe it. But by book seven, you get Hermione, like, how does she get the Horcrux books? She randomly thinks to summon them from Dumbledore's office at the end of the previous year. There are just some ways in which being in the right place at the right time accidentally 
works in your favor that are like, okay, but this one was one too many for me. I'm keeping track. And I'm just like, this is you, you accidentally had things exactly where they needed to be to do this. That's just late at a certain point. It becomes a crutch that writers should get the heck away from. Okay. Well we have, and now returning to our emails, we have this one from Aisha. Hey, fellow wizards. I'm really looking forward to your thoughts on Secrets of Dumbledore. Also hoping you can resolve some questions I had. First, I'll admit this was definitely better than the second movie. At least I didn't leave the theater angry and confused. (laughs) That's that's an improvement. (laughs) Aisha says, didn't really care for the Credence is a Dumbledore explanation. It came out of nowhere. And wouldn't it have just been easier for them to just make Grindelwald a liar? They have some questions for us. Did you guys get a too heavy Nazi Hitler vibe from the movie? I didn't because because that's what Grindelwald is as an allegory in these books. So I don't think it's possible to get too much of a Nazi Hitler vibe because that's exactly what that character is supposed to be. The the wizarding analog of a Hitler. Um, yeah. And also, given the time period, we have to remember they're drawing some very strong comparisons between what was happening in the wizarding world and the muggle world. Um, So I didn't have an issue with that. I will say I I voiced this in the last couple of episodes. What I did take issue with though, is that the timing of these movies with everything that's going on politically in the world, we have all seen firsthand what happens when radicalized people feel like an election is stolen from them yeah, and how they react. And this movie did not show that. There was nothing realistic in the way the crowds reacted to the Chillin bowing to Santos there at the end instead of Grindelwald. So that felt a little too neat, a little too tidy for me, um, which is, again, another thing that makes me wonder if they're considering potentially making this last film in this franchise. Okay, well, continuing on with the questions here. Why did the Grindelwald followers not just kill Theseus when he was captured in Berlin? Great question. <laughs> Thank you. Great too question. Easy. Awesome question. It's too easy. You can't just do that. Uh, uh, I, I also think possibly going back to the first part of this question that, you know, if we're making comparisons to things that were starting to happen in Europe around this time, putting Theseus in a situation like he was put in would have been the equivalent of torture. It's almost like Grindelwald likes playing with his food a little bit. Uh, and and so I think that, you know, it's also a very clean solution, right? Um, because presumably not much would be left of Theseus if in fact he is killed by the Manticore. Uh, so I also think we would never have gotten that scene if, if not, I know uh, that scene in the movie, just being, you gotta kill your darlings people. Well, Uh, and to that, the next question that Aisha said in, sent in was why pull a Dr. Evil move by tying them up and leaving him to be eaten by a creature? Was it also, we could watch Newt do his swivel thrust? Yes. And it was also (laughs) just a scene uh, to build a deeper relationship between Newt and Theseus. It was, it, you know, it was, it was to Eric, flesh out I, that relationship. Yeah, I think, Eric, you said this um, in the last episode that, like, that was one of the major comedic moments, like a lighthearted moment 
yeah. in the film. It's one of the only ones we really get where we're, you know, whether it's Newt and Theseus, whether it's Teddy and Pickett, like it's a fun scene to watch. Well, the movie desperately needs humor and it desperately needs genuinely funny, also touching and heartfelt scenes. And it also needs development. Uh, what somebody just said about Newton Theseus, um, because as brothers, there are precious few moments where they get to relate to each other at all. So Newt's rescue of Theseus and, and Theseus kind of having to learn his brother's ways, so to speak, to escape with his life is amazing and definitely necessary. Like. I'll give one more example. Um, at the very beginning of this movie, of Secrets of Dumbledore, um, the right after the chillin' scene, we see Newt and Theseus being brought to, or Newt's bringing Theseus to Hogsmeade to talk about the blood pact with Dumbledore. Well, the scene opens with them pretty much at the door of the hog's head. Um, there's just enough of a shot to get like, oh, here's where we are of Hogsmeade. But they presumably had been conversing for hours on the journey. And I felt uh, the second time watching this movie completely robbed of even just uh, the conversation that was happening within the last two minutes between those characters. I wanted it because we've just seen in Crimes of Grindelwald, Lita's death and then Newt saying, I, you know, I've chosen my side. It's OK. If they had just allowed that scene to live, if we had gotten the previous 60 seconds of Newt and Theseus we would have learned so much more about where in actuality their relationship to one another is. We know that Theseus has allowed Newt to talk to him with no explanation into going to Hogsmeade, but just let your characters talk to each other and like let them tell the story of the world for you. And this film does not do that. Well, there was one more question here from Aisha. Queenie went over to the dark side and was considered a supporter and ally of Grindelwald, and all of a sudden she is forgiven and gets to get married? It makes sense for Jacob to love and forgive her, but Theseus is the head of the Aurors. You'd think he'd at least want to hold her for questioning, maybe punish her for her actions. It's not like she was under a spell. She made a cognitive decision to go with Grindelwald. I actually think this is a really good point. It's a mm -hmm. little strange that Theseus was just like, oh, whatever, you were with Grindelwald, but now you're not. Now you're marrying Jacob. It's all cool. Yeah. Well, do we know how much time has elapsed between the the Bhutan scene and when they're getting married in New York? Uh, because also, it can't question. be much. Well, can it be much? And would it be Theseus or would it be more under the jurisdiction of Makuza and her sister, actually, to yeah. interrogate her for? going team Grindelwald, which would actually make for really cool. There's also something a little bit later on in one of the emails, and we can talk about it then, but like, why wasn't Tina more active in trying to rescue her sister? Um, From an abusive uh, dictator? dictator? Yeah. It's a good question. Um, yeah. I, I I think that the, the question you asked, Mike, about how much time has elapsed between the Bhutan scene and the wedding is a good question because I do imagine for reasons that it would have been at least six months. Like the entire uh, viewpoint on wizards marrying muggles in America, which was deliberately made by this author and screenwriter to be even worse than it is in, in Europe. The idea that this wizard and witch can get married with no problem in a great, beautiful ceremony in New York is highly confusing. And my only explanation for it is that Santos, who became the Supreme Mugwump of the International Confederation of Wizards, was uh, fine with wizard and muggle relations and actually changed the law. 
But that explanation is not in the movie. You have to do the work to figure that out. So I, I think that the chillin bowed to her. She became the president. And because she just saw Grindelwald going off uh, when he tortured Jacob on how unfit wizards and muggles were to marry each other, that she made as a priority and policy to allow wizard and muggles uh, to marry immediately. And that that was what we see the payoff being in their marriage at the end Mm. of the film. Yeah. But we have to remember, too, in this movie, only a year has passed since the events of the first film, right? So do we think they did a a six-month time jump or like half the time that has elapsed so far in this story for this wedding? Time jumps don't seem to be a thing (laughs) this franchise is doing. But that's the only way I can explain how they're able to get married. Yeah. Um, is that Santos became the leader and then also put into place that it was okay. Because in a, you can maybe marry in, in in Europe right now in the in the 30s. You can't do it in America. They had to have mm-hmm. Jacob's memory wiped. He couldn't even know about wizards in America. Well, I was actually, we were going to get to this later, but Rappaport's R- Rapport's Law. I think we used to call it Rappaport, but it's spelled Report. Anyway, um, prevents wizards from marrying muggles. It was allegedly repealed in 1965, according wow. to fandom.com. Well, I don't know where they got that from. So, I mean, more maybe like they 1930, still did it. am I right? <laughs> maybe they still did it under, like, they they did it secretly but then you think of like they got married in a window storefront like <laughs> people Fun could fact, just watch T- from the outside Tina's there to bust them because it's still illegal oh that, I that like would that be idea. the uh there's a huge battle at the beginning of fantastic beasts 4 and it takes place again no time jump immediately at the scene of the wedding and tina busts uh queenie and jacob for getting married and then busts queenie for joining wizard uh hitler Fantastic Beast 4, The Crimes of Queenie. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I suppose you could make the argument that they just had their own private ceremony and said, you know, legalities be damned. We're going to have our own commitment ceremony, just like people have done in real life when... Mm various you know things have not been legal yet um so it's it's possible that's what they did but there was also no reason at all for them to realistically jump into a wedding when they had so much to talk about about what went wrong um in their relationship to that point it's a pretty big one i feel like if my fiance had joined wizard hitler we would need to talk about that before i decided i was okay (laughs) marrying that person (laughs) Let's get him on the show. <laughs> what were you thinking? We all agree with Aisha that um, Queenie should be questioned. And because especially she knows not only uh, the inner workings of his organization, which there are some structural things you can't just change overnight, but she also knows into his head and the head of all of his followers, too. She would know exactly why every single one of them is with him. And that's information that you could hella exploit mm-hmm. um, in future films. So uh, now moving on to a message we got from Chelsea via our feedback form. Our feedback form still asks listeners the question, how did you hear of us? And the reason I bring this up is Chelsea wrote another podcast. I want to know what podcast. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah. Who's Let talking us about us? Um, <laughs> so anyway. The message, Love Secrets of Dumbledore, definitely seemed like a bridging movie, like the sixth Harry Potter book movie. 
Typical Dumbledore at the climactic moment. His brother wants to talk to his son and Dumbledore's like, no, wait for the right moment. <laughs> Let him comfort his son. <laughs> uh, like that Jacob got a wand, but didn't do magic with it. Ha ha. I would have been annoyed if he turned into some great muggle wizard. Same. Yep. We saw the movie in a brand new D-Max cinema in Perth, Australia, and the seats moved. The water scene felt amazing like you were floating there with Newt as the chair moved. That's cool. That is, is cool. That is really neat. Um, but really liked it. Can't wait to see more. Thanks, Chelsea. Did Jacob do magic with his wand a no. little bit? That no. was there. Was there nothing at it all? Was, wasn't it like, initiated by uh, Ulele? Yes. Yeah. That's all it was the whole time, huh? Because that that dinner scene is uh, a little chaotic, he, so I couldn't really tell if he hmm. did get to keep it. He did. Can Maybe I in the future Dumbledore? he could do magic with it. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have a core though, right? So Right. Well, he can maybe pop in a core like a battery. Oh my god. <laughs> he just goes to Ollivander's and he's like, can I get a core? Yeah, a little core um, upgrade. <laughs> hey, if you can put a human being in a wall, you can put a wand core in a wood. Touche. Fair. That, that is something I also have questions about, but... That, that would be too much of a rabbit hole for us to go down today. Um, our next email comes from Alyssa. And Alyssa says, Hello, MuggleCast. Love the show and have been a fan since the beginning. I am a Harry Potter super fan while my husband casually watches the movies with me when I ask and occasionally buys me illustrated books for my birthday. We both saw Secrets of Dumbledore and overall enjoyed it. However, our biggest disappointment was in the big fight scene towards the end between Grindelwald and Dumbledore. As a Harry Potter super fan, I was hoping to get a fight scene like we haven't seen before. However, it almost looked as if they took the big battle between Harry and Voldemort and edited it right into this movie. Harry knew love and Voldemort did not. Harry had friends and Voldemort did not. We've seen a fight between two characters whose lives were completely opposite to one another. With Dumbledore and Grindelwald, there was love. They cared deeply for one another. There was loss of what might have been and the final realization that things could never be the same. I was hoping a battle between those kinds of characters would look a bit different. Perhaps it will in the future as the outcome shows itself, but it definitely left much to be desired. Keep up the good work and so glad to see beasts as a focal point again. <laughs> Agree. Um, yeah, I, I felt like this was a little anticlimactic too, in part due to the blood pack mirror dimension magic that is never explained um mm -hmm. that kind of removed these two from the setting of the election um that they were in again i feel like everything about this election sequence was too easy it was too neat it was too buttoned up we all know that that stuff is never <laughs> it never goes that way especially during this time period when things are so volatile culturally and there are so many comparisons being made to what is happening in Europe in the muggle world at this time, it just feels very neat, very like tied up in a nice, neat little bow. And um, it was just hard for me to buy it in a way that felt satisfying. So I agree. Next email is from Lisa. Uh, how she heard of us, online list of recommended podcasts. So we appreciate uh, 
all those reviews that people are doing. Uh, and she says, I thought Secrets of Dumbledore was much better, but still suffered from the mistakes previously made in the franchise in terms of trying to fix everything and still have some sort of character development. For example, loved Aberforth Aurelius moment, but wanted more of their relationship developing. Also, why'd they have to take the creature in a suitcase? Why not just use Polyjuice to disguise yourself and shove it under your hat or in a Hermione-style <laughs> bag? Elaborate shell game was not required. End scenes were so long, it felt a bit Return of the King, which makes me feel like we might not see the core four again. Looking forward to seeing it again, though. So that's something. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. You know, somebody, I don't know if we'll get to this email today. I can't remember if it's in our rundown, but somebody noted that by the end of the movie, they did get the core four back together. Queenie, Jacob, Newt, Tina, they're all back together. Wow. And now Laylee and Theseus. Yeah, except we never see them all in the same frame. Not even in the the wedding? No, because we don't even see the wedding, do we? The the close up that's on uh, Queenie's awesome dress and what Jacob is wearing only has Newt in it because Tina and Eulalie and Theseus have not arrived yet. And by the time that they all do arrive, we are outside the windows with Dumbledore. Oh, is this another situation like the Harry Potter reunion where they couldn't actually get everybody oh together? My God. So they had to do some Maybe. little bit of, little bit of magic. Now we have to rewatch that Ooh. and uh, carefully review where everybody is in the scene. Oh my goodness. It's another scandal. Another Toronto filming unit. <laughs> the, the one thing I will say, though, that I don't know that we've talked about this, but the whole suitcase scene is very much Seven Potters rewritten for Fantastic mm. Beasts. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you're going to criticize the writing again, I think that this is a a, a place you potentially could. It, you don't have to, but uh, I actually was fine with it, though. I thought it was kind of fun watching all of the different characters with different suitcases, fooling the baddies. Uh, and then it was Bunty, ultimately, right, who has the chillin. Of course, it had to be in the suitcase. Yes. I, what, you're not just going to throw a chillin under your hat. Like, well, no, that's the, where, and that's where the beasts go. Right. The, the beasts go in the suitcase. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. The first movie established that. I have so many questions about how a presumably muggle um, Smith uh, makes seven identical suitcases while only looking at it for about five minutes. <laughs> the takeaway I got from that was they were roughly identical. You know, because it would be an impossible task for him to make them perfectly identical when he only has five minutes. And it's not like he... He took pictures, or at least sketched it, as far as we could tell. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I just kind of assumed they weren't perfect, but they were close enough. Dumbledore doesn't know magic where he could just do that. Like, he sends Bunty to this. Yeah, right. Dumbledore could absolutely do that. If he can create a mirror dimension. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. How about that duplicating uh, gold spell oh, in yeah. Bellatrix's vault? Yeah, Praetorian Charm or something like that. Yeah, I what it's called. But Throw I that guess on there. the thinking is he couldn't do that because Grindelwald can see the future, right? So they're trying to confuse him as much as possible by sending everyone on sort of individual missions. And part of Bunty's mission was getting the suitcases. Okay. Fair. And maybe there's an argument to be made that that would also be moving against Grindelwald yeah. if he was uh, okay. duplicating the suitcases. I actually really like... Uh, this next email we didn't i don't know if we talked about this but this is from eliza she writes 
I'm sure you're already planning to speak about this, but I just had to write about the chillin' bowing to Dumbledore. It took everything in me not to audibly gag in my theater when it <laughs> happened. Oh. As the chillin' started going out into the crowd, I thought it would bow to Newt or Jacob. The former would play into why Dumbledore trusts Newt so much, and the latter would have helped tie together the earlier scenes of Jacob being told he has a pure heart and bring up his confidence and building up his confidence. Oh, that's such a good point. But have it belted Albus Dumbledore, master manipulator and professional at raising pigs for slaughter? Don't get me wrong, I don't hate Dumbledore, but Harry recognizing Dumbledore was a flawed man was a huge part of the original series. So for him now to be seen as pure of heart was tough. To be honest, it was a nauseating, seemingly fan service choice, and I couldn't help but follow Grindelwald's lead and roll my eyes. Thanks for all you do. I love the show. I'm a longtime listener, and I can't wait to hear your reviews of the movie. So you're a fan of this take, Micah? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I'm I'm actually on board with what she said as it relates to how Grindelwald reacted. I probably would have rolled my eyes too a little bit because <laughs> You know, Jude Law does a great job in that scene where he's like, no, 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 not me. But why? That was funny. Why bow to yeah. Dumbledore? Because he's not pure of heart at the end of the day. We we know, certainly, you would hope that a creature like the Chillin could see into the future enough to know all the things that this man is going to do to this poor uh, child that's coming to Hogwarts, <laughs> uh, you know, decades in the future. But uh, even with what's happened to his sister, uh, I agree that I think seeing the chillin bow to Newt would have been really, really cool and well-deserved. Mm. We see the yeah. interplay with Jacob, and I wonder if it could bow to him because he's not a wizard. If we had to pick a wizard, I would say it should have been Newt. It's a good point. I agree. I was expecting it to bow to either Newt or Jacob. That was what I thought was going to happen. Oh. And then when it bowed to Dumbledore, I was like, oh, okay. Well, if it bowed to Jacob, that would have been bribery because he gave him soup. Uh, <laughs> you can discredit all these bows. It's just a reference to the fact that Dumbledore actually occupies this position in the future. I think that's what I took away from it. The mm -hmm. position of Supreme Mugwump. Yeah. Yes. And that and that's fine if you know they're going to do a proper election to determine this. But mm. again, going back to the, you know, admittedly very cute, small deer looking creature yeah. being like, Yeah, you're pure. Why don't you be president? <laughs> it was a little bit like putting a magnet beside a compass and watching mm -hmm. it screw up the yeah. reading. Um, the fact that Dumbledore was there, it wasn't his purity of heart that was overwhelming, it was his power. Uh, I think that made the chillin do that. Um, that's why he was like, no, 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 no. But also there's somebody else. I trust me. This one comes from Tobia. They say, Hey, MuggleCast, hope you're all are doing well. I'm writing because you asked for secrets of Dumbledore feedback. So here's my two cents. I thought it was a lot better than crimes of Grindelwald, which to be fair, wasn't that hard. And overall it was okay. I really liked Mads Mikkelsen and would have loved him in the first two movies. He and Jude Law had great chemistry. Throughout, especially the later part of the movie, I felt like the studio was unsure whether they would make a fourth movie and wanted to tie up all loose ends for that reason. The end scene felt like it could also be the end of the franchise if necessary. I kind of felt like they lost confidence in the franchise, and rightly so, but it sucks to see that so obvious in the movie. The Aberforth Credence revelation was okay, but there were some fan theories that I thought were more exciting. Greetings from Germany. Thanks, Tobia. Um, great email. Yeah. 
And I'm sort of coming around to the fact that this might be the ends for Fantastic Beasts. Hopefully we will have time today to uh, look at the box office results because they trended lower overall than the past two movies. And there's been a downward trend overall. So. All right. Next email comes from Jerry, who says, further thinking about the three Fantastic Beasts films, I started to think about questions that have been raised that I'm afraid the movies will never address. Percival Graves, is he dead? And how did Grindelwald decide to pretend to be him? Nagini, what happens to her after crimes? And how did she eventually become Voldemort's snake? (laughs) The whole timeline collection of issues. I think we're referring to the retconning of certain characters that shouldn't be in these movies, according to canon. Um, Jerry also asks about um, Queenie and Jacob being able to be married and if Tina had any influence on those laws and why Tina, you know, maybe didn't uh, become more involved with rescuing Queenie, which I think we talked about a little bit earlier. And then mm-hmm. uh, Jerry also adds, Credence, how did he manage to survive so long with an Obscurus when they have killed all other known Wizarding World children and so many more? <laughs> Jerry notes. You could make an episode just out of these questions. Yeah. I know, they're really good questions. Yeah, well, Graves Nagini, we're probably just going to forget about them. I'm speaking as the screenwriters and producers just, you know, to clean things up. Credence, I, I don't know. He's a strong wizard. I guess that's the only answer. Yeah, I I guess. But what have we seen to justify that? He's a Dumbledore, that? that's why. Oh, God. <laughs> he's strong because he's a Dumbledore. I think I'm that's right. so sick of that family. I don't want to hear anything else about the Whoa. Dumbledores. Whoa. He's either a Dumbledore or a Skywalker. That's the only Ooh. explanation. Oh, God. <laughs> We also asked listeners for some feedback on social media. Thanks to uh, our social media manager, Chloe, uh, for pulling these all together. Uh, Amy Carraway over on Twitter said, favorite parts, anything with Mads and Jude, the swivel, uh, and Teddy. (laughs) I like it. Very very short, sweet, to the point. Uh, Yeah, people like that swivel. mm -hmm. Well, we're going to reenact it, right? Sure. Absolutely, but only on Patreon. (laughs) Only on our OnlyFans. Only Muggles. Only Muggles. muggles. That's what we have to start. (laughs) Uh, Deb said on Twitter, Secrets of Dumbledore beef is, according to canon, Aberforth is three years younger than Albus. Was he having this love child when he was 14 or 15? I mean, it happens. (laughs) It happens. It just, it, it, it is the... The perfect example, though, of how a little bit of like canon crossover of like referencing other media, how this does not hold up at all, even though it's technically possible. That wasn't what they were envisioning when they talk about Aberforth falling in love the same year or same summer Albus did. Like you almost you don't take into account at all that they were both teenagers. Um, Yeah, naturally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I guess just ultimately his age isn't relevant. Like I, I know. I know if you do the math, you come up with this, but it just doesn't really matter overall. Well, and also as messed up as the circumstances that lead to this can be, a 14 or 15 year old boy can definitely father a child. Yep. Mm -hmm. So biologically, it's possible. Yep. Whether they're equipped to do that is a whole other discussion. Well, Aberforth clearly was. I mean, look at this beautiful relationship he's had with with Credence all these years. Yeah. 
He's like, I've always loved you, but I've only known about you for 15 minutes. I mean, he knew about the mirror his whole life. Right. Oh Credence has just had a mirror pen pal this entire, <laughs> his whole life. Chloe Evelyn on Twitter says, I personally loved it. It had everything, more of the core group, action, and Mads Grindelwald is phenomenal. I'm so glad we got to see more into their relationship. I think Secrets of Dumbledore is a big improvement on Crimes of Grindelwald. Um, Agree. Agree. Alex Bristol says, in response to how do you feel about Secrets of Dumbledore, it was better than a smack in the mouth. But <laughs> to be honest, upon reflection, I think a slap in the mouth would have been better. What? Wow. What? No, no, come I'll on. see the movie again. Yeah, no. that's rough. Next one um, comes from Shannon over on Instagram, who says, I loved Mads Mikkelsen as Grindelwald. 20 minutes into the movie, I was already like... I want to see what the second movie would have been in this film franchise. My husband cracked me up when he said my favorite part was watching Steve Clovis throw out all the dumb stuff J.K. Rowling did in the second movie. I'm so (laughs) satisfied with the answers we got to. And I thought it was clever how they literally wiped our memory of Lita, made us forget Nagini was ever in the series, cleverly wrote out Credence and therefore as Ramil and got us back to the core four by the end. I absolutely adored the Beast's involvement in the plot as well. Every complaint or plot hole is directly linked to the damage control they were working on from the second movie. Yeah, totally agree. I think that the big problem for this movie was movie two. There's just some plot holes you can't write yourself out of. Mm, And I think they did the best they could with what they had. They got back on track. Like I said, somebody had said that by then the core four are basically together. They are supposed to be all in one room, even if they weren't all physically present, maybe (laughs) new conspiracy alert. But um, the ship has been rightened for two more movies. Unfortunately, who knows if we'll get them. Agreed. Final uh, post on social from BD over on Instagram says, I was overall very disappointed with this movie. I even cried to my husband about it after we got home. I really want more Newt, Tina, Queenie, and Jacob, but it just looks like we aren't really going to be getting that. It's turned into a Dumbledore series, and that's not what I wanted from these movies. The first Fantastic Beast movie is one of my favorite Harry Potter movies, up there with Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Prisoner of Azkaban, and I've been hoping they would go back to focusing on the actual main characters. This movie also has tons of plot holes, things just kind of happen and don't really make sense, And I'm not happy about how they explain Credence was a Dumbledore. And Credence gets so sidelined in this movie. He's such a cool character, and I feel like they just kind of given up on him. The more I think about this movie, the less I like it. I really think that we won't be getting any more Fantastic Beasts movies after this. Also, there were not enough Fantastic Beasts for this to be considered a Fantastic Beasts movie. So BD also would prefer a slap in the mouth before seeing this movie again. (laughs) It's very interesting, like, how polarized a lot of these reviews are. Yeah, I guess it depends on how wrapped up you you get in certain characters. I think, you know, Eric has also really wanted it to get back to the beasts and newts and the core four. But some people are really living for this Dumbledore Grindelwald story. That's me. I'm team Grindelwald Dumbledore story. And that's where it's going to continue to go if it continues to go, in my opinion. All right. Well, we couldn't do this show without the support of our advertisers and our patrons. And now it's time for some feedback from our patrons. We'll start off with this simple one from Justin. 
Lily Hicks gets the first spinoff TV series. I would support this 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. I think Jessica Williams could carry it. No question. Yeah, I think that'd be fun, too, because we were all so excited when we first heard about Ilvermorny. At least Americans were very excited. People like Jemima and other international listeners didn't really care as much. But obviously, there's a big Harry Potter fan base in America and a focus on the U.S. Wizarding World. While it hasn't been as developed as we expected it to be by now with Fantastic Beasts, I think would still be very intriguing for a lot of people. Everybody likes Laley Hicks. So, yeah, I, I think this could make a lot of sense. Absolutely. Completely agree. And maybe with our character discussion, we can chew on what a spinoff TV series would actually look like for her. Another one of our patrons, Veronica, said, I didn't love it, but it was definitely better than the previous movie, and the ending felt more fulfilling. Definitely less confusing than The Crimes of Grindelwald. I'm excited that the blood pact is broken and hoping to get a really cool fighting scene between the two someday. Yeah, that's a, another recurring um, thing that we talked about, how the fight between Dumbledore and Grindelwald in this movie is kind of, you know, pulling up the punches. It's in a mirror dimension with no stakes. So I agree with that. I think the eventual fight will be everything we're hoping for if it is ever realized on film. Next one comes from Jeff Hutton, who said, everyone had babies, Manicor babies, <laughs> Niffler babies, Chillin' babies, even Dumbledore babies. Yeah, I went there. I thought the way they married the relevance of the beast with the action of the film was excellent as well. They clearly took notes and made a much better mousetrap this time, or Niffler trap, if you prefer. I see what you did there, Jeff. <laughs> Very good. Um, Emily says, my main takeaways, I really love the characters from this series, but it's too many to develop on screen. And as a Tina stan, it was tough to see her in what, 90 seconds total? Oof. Yeah. Also, way better than the last movie. I surprisingly even liked how they resolved the Credence arc. But it still feels like this is all coming to an end, especially with the way they shot the conversation with Dumbledore and Newt. My friend's theory, with my last point, is that they're going to officially pivot away from Fantastic Beasts proper and just make it a Dumbledore story that Newt and team show up in a bit, but are no longer the central focus. I agree. Yeah, I hate it, but I agree. Yeah. This next one is from Anne. Holy moly, I knew things were serious when the entire audience screamed, what? When we learned the truth about Credence. Though I will say I like this better than the theories that he was Ariana's child Ariana's child from the assault she suffered from the Muggle Boys. Yeah. At least it made sense. Well, I do like Johnny Depp. I think Mads Mikkelsen was fantastic. And honestly, I wish he had been Grindelwald from day one. I really think this movie fixed what COG got so wrong. And I truly hope they will give us the last two films. I'm glad everybody felt so good about Mads in the role. It was yeah. a little risky, switching things up. Yeah, but yeah. he was great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it worked really well, and everybody seems really happy about it. Yeah. And uh, our last patron comment that we're using comes from Shannon uh, over on Patreon. Overall, I enjoyed this movie more than Crimes of Grindelwald, sensing a theme there, uh, but it still had its flaws. I appreciated the trimmed down storyline and agreed they buttoned up a good deal of story in case the series doesn't continue. One of the things I would change is the election of Grindelwald. I wish his election had stood and the next movie could really show his rise to power and influence on both the wizarding and muggle communities. I think this would have been a nice way to extend the timeline and get some buy-in from the viewers, giving a sense of urgency. 
there's not a lot of canon surrounding the period of time the next movies will be set in, so it could be plausible for Grindelwald to be Supreme Mugwump, uh, but HP readers to have never known that piece of information. Maybe that part of his story was erased from the history books. I feel the way the election was so easily overturned in this movie was too simple, but I understand why they did what they did in order to put a tentative end to the series. That's a good question. I actually was surprised by the switch. I assumed Grindelwald was going to be elected, even while watching it, uh, because that is what happened in history when um, Hitler was appointed the Chancellor of Germany in 1933, a position Mm. that he held for 12 years um, before his death. So I was totally expecting Grindelwald to actually get the role of leader in, in the Wizarding World. How about you guys? Yeah, I was too. And I actually wonder if that was part of the rewrites. Mm. If the intention was that this movie was supposed to end on a dark note of him getting this power to set the stage for future installments. And I think that might have been part of the rewrites to make the story simpler, but also make this feel like a satisfactory finale in the event that it ends up being a finale. Yeah, I, that's a really good point. I agree. I, I would have liked to have seen this ending. I, I think it's it's really cool and would have set up the series to continue. The question is, is it actually going to? Right. That's the question on all of our minds that I think we are going to be talking about on next week's episode. Yes. So to round us out today, we're just going to briefly look at one of our predictions from a few weeks ago. We said, how much will the film make domestically over opening weekends? Fantastic Beast 1 had made $74.4 million. Fantastic Beast 2 slid down and made $62.1 million. I predicted it would make $55 million. Eric said $45 million. Laura said $50 million. Micah said $58 million. The total was $42 million. So good job, actually, Eric. <laughs> well, yes, but with prices right rules, we all failed. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'm but you know what? I'm pleasantly surprised to be the closest failing answer. You did here. win. Yeah, you did win. Aww. Yeah, good, good job. But that's kind of sad, right? Because we did expect. Yeah, I mean, that's a 20 million drop from the last movie. And that's from and- the last movie. Yeah, so just trending downward. And again, I've I've been on this. I've said this before. That's with all the Hogwarts promotion. That is saying going back to Hogwarts. That is with Hogwarts on right. the poster. They sold their soul of the franchise, yeah. making it all about Hogwarts all the time and the Harry Potter theme and that guy playing Quidditch. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, that guy that carried all the trailers. That mystery uh, man, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm shocked to see that that's because we're talking about more than a COVID impact. We're talking about people are actively choosing not to see this film. And I'm 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 actually happy about that in the sense that I think people are making choices for media in a time where it is still dangerous to go to the theaters, making choices that are reflecting a more safe approach mm-hmm. Um so I'm I'm glad for that, but it is sad, and it, it, I can see this very easily being looked at as a, a death throw from anybody marketing or anybody that's greenlighting future films. Yeah. Uh, in addition to what we've discussed about the story really feeling like they wrapped a lot of the major points up so that this could be an ending, I think these box office numbers kind of seal the deal 
yeah. to be honest. I'd be interested in looking at the overall. I'm I'm looking at that now. Box maybe, office. Maybe I'm just looking at it the wrong thing. Is forty five million right? Opening weekend oh, domestically. Opening weekend. Yeah. In the US, it has now gone on to make seventy-one million internationally, okay. two hundred twelve million for a total of two hundred eighty-four million worldwide. Still a far cry from the other movies. Yeah, and- so they haven't even broken even between right. oh, the movie cost wow. and all the marketing costs. Right. Right. Yeah. Oof. That's so rough. I, I still think they'll do, you know, one more movie, one and done. Maybe I don't uh, I don't know anything anymore. They can just just go to a show. Just go to an HBO Max show. I feel like that has to be like if I if I were the person in charge of this, that would be the direction I would take it. Because just like how in this movie, they completely dropped any mentions of Nagini. Mm. (laughs) Um, You know, I think that they just need to move on. How about this? Release the final battle between Dumbledore and Grindelwald on TikTok. Shoot it for TikTok. Sure. 30 seconds just to close <laughs> this out. Then we see every the core four hanging in the background watching, being like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. That would cost them maybe a couple mo- million. Yeah. And they would <laughs> they would resolve a pretty major plot point in about 30 seconds, just like they do in the movies. So right. it's great. It's perfect. Do we feel like when they release this movie also is hurting it a bit because it was Easter weekend and spring, which I don't know why I remember wondering, why would you pick this weekend? Is it because they knew it was going to do poorly anyway? So Uh, they got to think about other movies they're competing against too. They don't want to be near a Marvel movie, for example, or even another Warner brothers movie at the, this film was so heavily and so often delayed that I really just wanted it at that point. Like I would have preferred it was the November prior, um, but I would have been livid if they had pushed it back any further. And let's remember, they did actually move it up. It was scheduled, I think, for what, this summer? And then they oh. moved it up to April. Remember okay. that? We were like, finally, some good news. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We were all very excited about it. So next week, we will discuss the questions that Fantastic Beast 3 should have answered and questions that Fantastic Beast 4 has to answer. And I also want to do a kind of sidebar discussion about certain lines that we've heard in these movies so far shall we die just a little will we die just a little and um uh, the past whispers if you listen or whatever dumbledore said at hogwarts i want to what do these mean i want to know we need to figure out the answers once and for all we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of that and we're gonna revisit our nostradamus prediction oh great yes figure out how awesomely that came together uh regarding our our Prediction, darts on the wall prediction of what this movie would be about. That was from episode 534, so uh, like 28 episodes ago. Yeah. All right. It's time for Quizage. Last week's question, according to the secrets of Dumbledore, what is Bunty's given surname? And the correct answer Weasley. is... Weasley. Br- <laughs> I heard a spoiler that it was going to be Weasley, by the way. But I wonder if that was, was something not. Steve Clovis changed too. I wonder. <laughs> I would have loved her as Weasley. Anyway, the correct answer is Broadacre. Of course, you need the and alliteration. Yeah, Bunty Broadacre. I like that. Peter Pettigrew, Bunty Broadacre. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Uh, anyway, speaking of nice names, here are the cool names of people who submitted the correct answer to us: Duke Stroganoff, Professor Parmesan, 
Ooh. Raven Connor, Sham the Bomb, Swiveling Nifflers, Cole, <laughs> Remy, Mooney, Pata, Ginny the Goat, Legalized Gillyweed, Chillin' Like a Chillin', and Shufflepuff, as well as more. So Fun. Thank, thank you for submitting your names to us, as well as the correct answer using the form on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich. And here is next week's question. From Chamber of Secrets, the book. What book hits Lucius Malfoy in the eye during his tussle with Arthur Weasley inside Flourish and Blots? Taking it back to book canon for now, because the films are empty. And submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website. Coming up on our Patreon this week at patreon.com slash MuggleCast, we're going to have a new bonus MuggleCast installment. It's going to get a little gossipy. We're going to talk about J.K. Rowling and her silence around this movie. She has not tweeted a thing about this movie. It's wow. like it didn't even come She's preoccupied she, with some other things she's tweeting about. <laughs> she's been <laughs> tweeting so much. It's not like she left Twitter. So and we got to talk about that. I did some digging to figure out when the last time she actually even acknowledged the existence of Fantastic Beasts on her Twitter account. Andrew, thank you for doing the hard work and doing You're what welcome. I didn't want to do and actually looking, loading that page up. Oh, the Ugh. Twitter advanced search tool is like the best tool ever. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll look at that and why she might be so silent. I think that's the big question. So that'll be available at patreon.com slash mugglecast. Our Patreon is the reason why we have been able to make the show a weekly podcast again. So thanks everybody for I say again like this was recent. We've been weekly for like four or five years now, thanks to our Patreon. So thank you everybody who supports us. And even if you can't support us, we do appreciate if you listen to us, if you follow us on social media, and if you follow the podcast. And any way you can support us, we we deeply appreciate. Speaking of that, make sure you are following MuggleCast for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode and leave us a review if they allow you to. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Lots of fun happening on our social media accounts, so don't miss it. And that concludes this week's episode of MuggleCast. I just want to remind everybody one more time that you can trust me. I am loyal. I am your friend. I am Andrew. I'm bowing to you right now, Andrew. Oh, stop. Yeah. No, I really, I said if I were a chillin, I would. You deserve more than 4%. I, the only way that that poll should have gone is 25% split evenly across all of us. I agree. So we all make this show every week. That means we're pure. Someone noted in the Discord that, you know, you should just remember that most people, um, when they talk about their favorite character in this series, they don't say Harry Potter, and he's like the main dude, right? So I'm the Harry Potter. Yeah, of this you're Muggle you're cast. the Harry Potter of MuggleCast. I will never make such an egotistical remark, but I do appreciate <laughs> that from uh, Hufflepuff Teach Kyle, the oh, the thanks, creator Kyle. of Quizage, and I'm Eric. I'm your supreme mugbunk, Micah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Laura. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>